listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Sudar. Join us as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Suda, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Is 2027 the year we could see World War III break out? It's a pretty loaded question, and today that is what we're discussing. Keith, a pretty uh, grim <laughs> chat, I suppose. It's not far away, 2027. Let's put this question into context. Why is this question being posed and what's the significance of the year 2027? So this debate has just been triggered by CIA who believe that that'll be the year in which President Xi launches the attack on Taiwan. Mm. Taiwan remains very important in terms of China's self-image. Of course, we've got an election coming up in Taiwan in January, which may bring a government hostile towards China back into power or it may see great improvements in relations, but it continues to simmer along. And CIA have argued that the Chinese army, the what's called the PLA, People's Liberation Army, would have been formed 100 years before 2027. Mm-hmm. So it's the anniversary of the creation of that defence force and being used to put down the business in Taiwan. PLA, People's Liberation Army, obviously runs the army, but also you've got a PLA Navy and a PLA Air Force. It gets very confusing. <laughs> Everything comes under the heading of PLA. Yep. And so the PLA, according to CIA, are gearing up for this attack, 2017. We don't have evidence from CIA as to where they get that from. Are they getting documents coming out of the Chinese bureaucracy or whatever? Yeah. We, it's not clear why CIA, except for this anniversary year, why CIA would select that. But there is, a, we do know there is a greater sense of, of desperation within China itself. The old statement is that China will grow old before it grows rich. And there's now a play on words that China will grow old before President Xi gets Taiwan. <laughs> so there is a problem with an aging population in China, rapidly aging. It's the world's fastest aging population. It's a population without an old age pension scheme, the equivalent of what we have in Australia is a superannuation scheme for your own personal investments. So there is that sort of sense of desperation just in terms of demographics. People are not producing children. So you've got to hold on to a certain number of people in the Defence Force anyway to deal with national tragedies, things like bushfires, floods, etc., So you need to have defence forces large enough to cope with what was going on back home in China in terms of environmental disasters and at the same time being able to mobilise an attack on Taiwan Mm. at a time when you're running out of young people. Mm. So that that is certainly one of the issues. The other issue is that the Chinese economy perhaps is reaching a stage of maturity. Mm -hmm. Remember, it's been clocking up these incredible growth results. The figures are perhaps somewhat suspect, but... Every time you go back to China, you'll notice there's more and more development. Right. So even if the figures are not as accurate as one would like, simply given the diversity and the size of the country, there is clearly something happening there. People are developing that economy. The problem is that perhaps they've 
they've reached a point of leveling off. You know, it's like a, a human growing very rapidly as a child and then as a teenager, and then you sort of level off. Yeah. And that may well be what's happening now with China, mm. that the really big growth spurred years are behind it. The example that haunts China is Japan. It is interesting, those of us who are dinosaurs can remember how in the 1960s there was all this speculation of a coming war with Japan because it was getting so powerful and would be overtaking the United States. And then it all petered out in the 1980s. And from the 1990s onwards, it's not been a complete disaster, but clearly it's not growing mm. as fast as it has. And it, and it props up the economy through borrowing more and more money. It's a weird system the Japanese have got, but they have kept the country afloat, mm. albeit on a sea of debt. <laughs> uh, so the issue then for China is will they go the way of Japan? Mm. And now, of course, we've, we've got the news this year that there are more people in India than there are in China. And they are younger people in India than you get in China. And so if you were President Xi, you'd be feeling, look, I've got to make the move soon. Otherwise, I'll just lose that momentum. And, of course, built into that also is the fear of the what we've seen in Ukraine. When the Russians tried to invade Ukraine, as we speak, a stalemate has developed. And so Russia has certainly not been successful even though it's 140 million people invading a country then of 44 million, the Russians couldn't do it. Yeah. And the fear for China is that, yes, they vastly outnumber Taiwan, but they've got to get across a waterway. And the Taiwanese have been waiting for them for the last 75 years. So it, <laughs> it, it's, it makes it very difficult for President Xi if he wants to carry ahead with the reoccupation of Taiwan or the occupation of Taiwan. Mm. Why Taiwan? Like, what's the significance there? Well, it was part of Chinese territory. Mm. Then the Japanese took it over. So it's actually been a Japanese colony. And I was intrigued on my first visit to Taiwan, which was, oh, golly, over 20 years ago. It was a guest of Annette Liu, who was then the vice president, the most senior woman elected in 5,000 years of Chinese history. What intrigued me was the number of people who just spoke Japanese because of the Japanese occupation. Yeah. Now, that ended in 1945 with mm -hmm. the loss of Japan in World War II, but you've got old-timers on Taiwan who were still fluent in Japanese. And so that, that is a break within the history of Taiwan. that They had this period when they were not run as part of the Chinese Empire and they were actually being run as part of the Japanese Empire. And so you, on... Taiwan itself, you've got different points of view. You've got some people who yearn to be reunited with mainland China, mm -hmm. even though it's clearly a brutal dictatorship, but they, they, they want to reunite the Chinese family. And you've got a younger generation, principally a younger generation, who are just saying, look, we have become a fully developed country in our own right. We are the green silicon chip <laughs> in the Pacific. Yep. So it's a green country. It's also one that's made a name for itself in terms of information technology. In fact, they make the best chips in the world. And so you've got some people on Taiwan saying, we can do it on our own. We don't need to be part of China. And, of course, China is a major investor in Taiwan. Taiwan is a major investor in China. Mm -hmm. But they want to keep separate. Yeah. And then you've got others, very much also in the Chinese mode, who say, look, what's the need for a hurry? Westerners are always in a hurry to get things done. Yep. 
we can afford to wait. Let's leave it for 100 years. Let's see how things go. <laughs> We're in no hurry. So you do have these different points of view. Yeah. And they're being reflected at the moment in the election campaigns that are underway on Taiwan at the moment. So the question we posed at the start is, is 2027 the year World War Three breaks out? Now, let's, let's theorise here. China invades Taiwan in 2027. What does the rest of the world do? What and that, Well, this is what's called strategic ambiguity mm. because the Chinese don't know what the United States will do. Mm-hmm. And that's the fear for the Chinese. Will the Americans come in big time behind Taiwan? Now, when you look at Ukraine, the Americans came in grudgingly, slowly, and enabled the Russians to get control over 10 15% of the country. The Americans should have gone in harder and faster along with the European allies. So the fear for China is that you just don't know what the Americans will do. Mm. Will they suddenly be outraged or will they just simply say, look, we're no longer the police officer of the world and we're not going to get involved in that conflict? Yeah, and I wanted to bring up Ukraine. Do you think what's happened there has potentially boosted China's hopes that the US would stay out of it and the rest of the world might as well? They'd send weapons maybe and, you know, speak out in support, but in terms of having a physical presence in Taiwan, it's pretty unlikely. I think, I think yes, I think the Americans are unlikely to have a physical presence there. The worry for the Chinese is that when they look at the failure of the Russian operation in Ukraine, they'd be saying to themselves, it's much more difficult to invade a country, particularly if you've got to get across a waterway. Mm. Now, the, the Taiwanese forces will be easily overwhelmed. And who knows, the Chinese, by the year 2027, may have a lot of um, autonomous drones. So these would be very small weapons that they could send over in the millions wow. and just simply kill people. Mm. They, they will just look for human beings and kill them. I've these seen, exist? Th- well, they're being developed at the moment. Oof. So what will happen is uh, they might, well, let's just say they decide to get rid of you. So they launch <laughs> the drone and they just go around. The drone has got a camera and the drone then just checks everybody's face until it finds you, and then suddenly it just goes straight into your skull. So it's kind of like a kamikaze drone. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So the drone, these ones that are being experimented with at the moment are very small, and these are, you know, individually targeted, but you could imagine a situation where you just have swarms, thousands of these, which will just overwhelm the Taiwanese defence system. Wow. Uh, They'd just be coming out of the sky all the time. That is certainly a major threat for Taiwan or any country that wants to go to its aid. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Thanks for your company. As we ask, is 2027 D-Day for World War III? Now, the article uh, we're discussing was in The Globalist and it made the point that the world's attitude towards war seems to have changed. Are we ever likely to see a full-scale conflict like we did with World War I and World War II? Well, it's the Europeans who start these wars and it's the Europeans who have lost an appetite for them. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so that may be an improvement, but it means that you are at risk if you're relying on Europe to help you because Europeans just don't have the stomach for wars, nor are they spending big on defence which is what the article has argued, that the Europeans need to be spending far more on defence. That's a very controversial claim to make. But they're just saying, well, look, 
am okay. At long last, we've got the French and the Germans to learn to live together. It's taken 2,000 years, but we've made it, right? <laughs> so they're not going to be around to cause another war, but there are still other problems out on the horizon. Mm. And for that reason, you need to have good defence forces to cope with those problems. So, yes, there is this risk that Europe will not have the appetite to fight and also may not have enough young people for that. Remember, we're back with the issue of demographics once again. You Mm. need a country to have a reasonable defence force in terms of younger people. And we're running out of younger people in the developed Western world. China's already gone down that path. Remember, we've looked at that as well. Yes. So we're actually running out of the people that are going to be carrying the rifles. Yeah. So that's why you obviously introduce robots because robots do the work for you. Yeah, you need one person controlling them. Exactly. And a safe place back in the home country. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're on the base in Utah and they're just killing people at a distance. It's kind of terrifying to think about. I mean, we see, you know, footage from World War Two, and we hear recounted stories about warfare then, but it was face-to-face, I guess. And, you know, if we do see conflict break out in 2027... Are we likely to see the use of these sort of weapons or are they still kind of not there yet? Well, with, you know, there is this thing called Moore's Law, which is the doubling power of computers. And that's coming into play now with the development of these autonomous weapons. Mm. And so who knows where we'll be in four years' time in terms of the development of new weapon systems. And, of course, the new weapon systems are not being publicised. So we, we just don't know for sure how the war would be fought. My guess is that it'd be pretty automated because we're just running out of young people <laughs> to carry rifles. <laughs> and what I find, and also, by the way, talking about young people, is the number of Chinese who are fleeing China and taking their wealth with them. Yeah. What's called uh, country flight. So these are people who are looking to study overseas, such as here in Australia, then looking to stay on and perhaps bringing their relatives out to this country as well as their wealth. Mm-hmm. So that's another problem for China. You know, we were talking about running out of young people. Well, some of them are just themselves running out of China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to to talk about the future of China on this topic. Let's say, you know, we've, we've covered off the ageing population. You know, we've also looked in previous episodes about globalisation and how people are, countries are starting to bring things back onshore. There's all this conflict with China, war of words. Let's say... China invades Taiwan in 2027. It doesn't go the way they want to. What's next for China? Like, what does the future hold for that country, given all of the things we know are going on at the moment? Well, for President Xi, this is his last throw of the dice, really. Mm. It's the year that he'd be due to retire. Whether he stands again, we don't know what his plans will be. Interestingly, he'll still be younger than President Biden is at the moment. So he might well say, look, I'll do a Joe Biden, give me one more term. (laughs) But it'll be the last throw of the dice for him. And we have no idea what the world would look like Mm. if the Americans were to be drawn in to this conflict. Who else would cause mischief? What would the North Koreans do? Would they find a way of trying to get involved one way or another? Who knows? Yeah. And this is always the problem with wars. It's not a new problem. It's one we've always had all the way along that wars never go the way that you hope that they will go. And so these things just spin out of control. For me, this is a very good argument about not going to war. Yeah. Because you never know how your invasion is going to work out. And you look back over the history of warfare for the last 150 years, countries that tend to start wars 
don't do very well in them. Mm. So you look at Hitler in World War Two. You look at the Kaiser in World War One. Look at George Bush in Iraq in two thousand and three. Yeah, they all initiated war, and they all failed. Yeah, surely we'd learn from our past. Well, I know you're being very rational there, very <laughs> rational and optimistic. But if you look at the history of warfare, we don't learn. No, and we we just go on repeating the same old mistakes, and that's the worry that I would have. That's yeah. why CIA are warning us now about this year, twenty twenty seven because the clock is ticking for President Xi. If he's going to make his play for Taiwan, he's going to have to do it in the next few years. Otherwise, that window of opportunity closes Mm. and Taiwan will continue its own economic development. As I say, they're making some of the best computer chips in the world. They're developing their their own trade links, which is interesting because it's a country that's hardly recognised by anybody in international law terms. Yeah. And yet by trading terms, they have a lot of, of colleagues, including mm. here in Australia. For me, it's a fascinating time for President Xi because he's going to have to make up his mind the next few years whether he proceeds down this path. Or he could just be like some of the people on Taiwan who say, well, I don't need to make a decision this century. We can leave it to next century. Just see how things turn out. That would be my preferable response, yeah. that, that people just say, no, we're not going to get involved in another war. Wars are so unpredictable. We're not going to risk it. But my fear is that leaders are not as rational as that. Well, before we um, wrap up, what, what would Australia's response be, do you think? If I know we side with the US a lot, but what could we see there if there was an invasion of Taiwan? Well, you'd have to say when you look at our new defence agreements, we are gearing up for a war with China. Mm. In Australia, as you say, has made up its mind. It's going to be supporting the United States. John Howard years ago said Australia doesn't have to make up It's mine between China and the United States. We can be a military ally of one and we're going to have the other one as a major trading partner. We do not need to make a choice. Well, in recent years, we have. And we have clearly decided to go with the United States. And in a sense, China has played its part by just being hostile towards Australia. So in a sense, China's bringing this on themselves, as well as, of course, what's going on in the United States. My guess is Australia will come in on the side of the United States, if the United States decides to defend Taiwan. Bear in mind, we're just minor players. What we will certainly need to do would be to round up the Chinese who are in this community because, mm. you know, they will be a fifth column for the Chinese government. Who knows what they're already up to? Mm. Remember, this: we've got a number of Australian writers who are writing about the risk that we run having so many Chinese in this country. Some perhaps are hostile towards the Chinese government, but others may well be sleeper agents. Wow. That's an issue we need to bear in mind. You've got the whole question of disinformation, cyber warfare, the fragility of Australia's infrastructure vis-a-vis hacking by China. It's not just an all-out invasion by China that we need to be worried about. It's what they can also do in cyberspace. Mm. Um, And just looking at the campaign which is waged on TikTok, the Chinese are very skillful in how they're using TikTok to change people's opinions on the island of Taiwan in the lead-up to next month's election there. It's a, a very subtle, nuanced campaign, but nonetheless, you know, some people are saying, let's just get the war over and done with. Well, as you said, 2027 is not far away. <laughs> uh, clock's ticking and uh, we've got a date now, so we'll have to wait and see. And look, before we go, Keith, there is something that you wanted to share with us. Yeah, a very sad announcement. Just before we finish up, today will be our final episode of the Global Truths podcast. 
We have loved bringing you stories from home and abroad, and we hope telling those stories has helped you understand the crazy and complicated world we live in just a little bit better. Global Truths was always about shining a light on events, people and policies that maybe aren't covered more broadly in mainstream media. If you're listening to this, thank you from all of us here at Global Truths for your support. You are the reason we work so hard to tell engaging and compelling stories. We appreciate you all and wish you a happy and healthy 2024. Absolutely. Yeah, sad news, Keith. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure doing this podcast with you. I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, happy and healthy 2024 for us all, hey? Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.